like for me, I was saying, this is only a choice only in so much as I'm choosing to live, um, that, that you're able to find that place of this is me. This is how I want to be. This is who I am. This is how I want to live. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Hi, Taylor. Welcome back. Hi, Sarah. I'm so glad that you could join us for part one of two conversations that we will be having about transgender identity, gender identity, and navigating that process in the short term and over quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. So today we're talking more about transgender identity, figuring out who you are and what does that look like in those early days of that experience. Okay, so welcome again and thank you for being willing to come on and talk about your journey Taylor, can you start out just by talking a little bit about your background and your advocacy in this area? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be back, Sarah. Thank you for for having me. So yeah, so I am getting my PhD in counseling psychology, and I have two passions. One was career, which we talked about, and the other is LGBTQ mental health, particularly uh, transgender mental health. My background in this area is personal. I identify as transgender. My pronouns are he, him, his. But I also have a bit of a professional background of I focus on I work with LGBTQ clients and trans clients. I've done some political advocacy of, you know, advocating on Capitol Hill, uh, along with some organizations uh, local to Washington, D.C. I've also given presentations on LGBTQ health disparities. So talking about the need for LGBTQ health care. So been a mix of both professional work, working with clients on transgender-related issues, but also doing some advocacy for inclusive policies to support transgender individuals. Yeah, that's wonderful and so needed, Taylor. I wonder if we could talk a bit about what is being transgender? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big question. And an important one is like, what, what does that really mean, right? You, we hear this word, but what does it actually mean? And what it means is basically you know, that your gender, if you're transgender, it means that your gender identity is different than what would be implied by your biological sex at birth. So for example, if somebody is born biologically male, but they identify as a woman, you use she, her pronouns, and they live their life, um, you know, that they, that they are a woman, despite, you know, being born biologically male, you would consider that person transgender, right? Because their gender is not what would be expected based off their biological sex. And how is that different or the same when we talk about non-gender binary? Yeah. So transgender is kind of an umbrella term. And underneath that umbrella, there's, there's two main types of trans individuals. One is binary, which means out of the, the two, you know, binary being two, male and female, um, and man and woman, those two genders, if you're binary transgender, it means basically you were born one biological sex and you identify as a gender that's kind of the opposite, so to speak. So being born biologically male and identifying as a woman or being born biologically female and identifying as a man like myself. I'm binary transgender. 
The other end of the umbrella is non-binary, which basically means that the gender identity that you have is, you know, doesn't necessarily line up with either biological sex. It's kind of beyond the binary, so non-binary, right? Um, and so, and that can be in all sorts of ways. You know, you can be gender fluid, so your sense of gender shifts. Agender, you know, you don't, I really identify with any gender. There's lots of different ways to be non-binary, and that's kind of its own spectrum, so to speak. But that's a great question. Thank you for clarifying that. I, thankfully, there have been a lot of positive changes in the last several years in our country and our culture around more acceptance and awareness. I know we still have a long way to go. And so I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time to explain something that is very basic to you, but may not be known by everyone who's listening. Absolutely. So tell me, like, how did this all start for you? Yeah. Well, for me, growing up when I was young, I, you know, born biologically female, treated as a girl. And I had an internal sense of, like, this doesn't seem quite right. Or, you know, like, this doesn't quite fit. Like, why was I born like this? But not having any real language, you know, I think transgender was not something as recognized uh, broadly culturally back then. And so I had no language for it. I just thought, well, I'm kind of stuck like this. Like, you know, Maybe I would have been would have been a better fit for me to be been born as a boy, but I'm I'm now you know this is poor luck of the draw, right? So um, you were just kind of resigned to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That that would be a good way of putting it. Was when I was young, kind of of being like you know it stinks that it's this way, but there's not much I can do. And you know I think kind of looking to to now and look, and also looking back of that speaks to the importance of trans visibility because it may have been different I may have been able to have a better sense of who I was or that there are other people like me if there had just been more visibility back then you know people sometimes wonder why is trans visibility important it's because of things like that if I probably could have had a better sense of who I was at a much younger age so then for most of my childhood you know I overall had a pretty happy childhood that I and I kind of just again was kind of resigned but you know, it's one of those things of you can't cry over spilt milk sort of thing, right? Took that approach. But as I got older, it became more and more apparent to me that if I don't do something, I'm going to be seen as a woman for the rest of my life. That, you know, I have this mismatch of my sense of gender within myself that nobody else can see, right? I wasn't talking about it. I didn't express it in any way. But as I got older, it just became more and more clear of, I do not feel comfortable this way. This is not me. And if I don't do something about it, you know, nothing's going to change, right? And so that led me to do a bit more homework to just look up. It's just like, are there other people like me? Um, is this, you know, just some strange phenomenon? Are there other, other folks out there? And did, you even, did you even know the term transgender when you first started researching? Whew, that's a good question. I think I was vaguely familiar with the term, but I think I more associated with things kind of like, uh, theatricality, kind of like a Jerry Springer type thing of just people that were very talked down upon, that they were, you know, unwell, that it wasn't a legitimate thing. Um, so I think I may have known the word, but I had no concept that any random person, you know, could be transgender, that that was actually, you know, that that was valid. So I think when I did a bit more homework, when I researched and YouTube was just coming around, and I saw people transitioning on there, documenting their transition, their shift on hormones, that they, you know, 
that they were successfully transitioning and they were feeling comfortable with their gender identity and that they were able to live as themselves, to be themselves. And for me, that opened up possibilities of, well, maybe I don't have to be so resigned, that there are other people like me and there is something I can do about this to live as my authentic self so that I don't have to spend the rest of my life feeling like people are seeing me through a filter, um, that they can actually see me. I'm curious to know more about how that felt for you to be discovering that, oh my gosh, there's something you could do about this and that people have done things about this, are doing things about this, um, that, that, that it's valid, that there's something real you can do. How did that feel for you? And, and also like, how old were you? What else mm -hmm. was going on for you at that time in your life that you were discovering that there was something you could do? Yeah. So this would have been, you know, really about my junior year of high school was when I really was getting to this kind of this breaking point of, you know, kind of looking myself in the mirror and, you know, having gone through puberty of like, if I don't do something about this, I'm going to be seen as a woman for the rest of my life. And understandably so in terms of like, nobody would know visually, right? Um, I haven't said anything. I haven't indicated anything. It's just like, so I think that age of getting to the adulthood really was what really was a wake-up cause. As a kid, I could kind of ignore for the most part of, in a way I could just be androgynous and kind of ignore a lot of gendered components of life. And then as I got older, it's like, okay, seriously, this is a mismatch and it's just getting more and more apparent. And how I felt was a mix of emotions. So originally with that resigned feeling, I was very angry, uh, kind of a low grade anger and just frustration with life. And that, you know, when I found out that I could do something, there was a, a moment of like, oh my gosh, like there's actually, I can actually be myself. There's a freedom. There was a, a weight lifted, but then a whole new set of, well, how do I do this? And am I transgender? And, and, you know, how do I get the medical care I need? How, uh, what does this mean basically? So a whole mix of emotions, you know, from a mental health standpoint, going from kind of that low grade anger resignment to kind of opportunity of like, oh my goodness, there's something, uh, you know, there are other people like me, I can be myself. And then also that fear and that wondering of how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to be able to be myself, especially in a society that I didn't even recognize trans people as valid or, you know, I didn't have any education or very limited. How are people going to understand me as in though a lot of anxiety and I had a lot of fear. Which makes sense given that we live, we still live in a fairly transphobic culture, although it is changing. It is mm -hmm. changing. But so, yeah, I'm just, I'm curious for you as you were discovering people who were documenting medical transitions on the internet and the surgeries that are very expensive and probably kind of scary on some level too, just to submit your body to some major surgeries, hormones and the way that can affect your mood, you know, as well as just all of the unknowns and the expenses that come with contemplating the, you know, full medical and social gender transition. Yeah, that there's so many aspects, you know, we could, there's so many, there's the social aspects of the relationships that shift, right? If people see you differently of, you know, that, and they, this person, they thought they knew that, you know, when you transition, you're still yourself, but people now know a different part of you. 
Uh, there's the medical aspects that, you know, which uh, medical interventions you do or don't want, right? That there's kind of, there's options of, you know, which interventions you, you would like, the affording them, you know, especially back then about 10 years ago, uh, insurance coverage for trans-related treatment was really not a thing yet. And so the prospect of paying that all out of pocket, certainly as you know, we discussed in the career podcast, you know, really affected my career development. How did you figure out that you needed, wanted, needed, it seems like, needed to fully transition? How did you figure that out? Yeah. Was it incremental or was it like, did you did it just land on you, like eventually land on you like a ton of bricks? Like this is what you have to do to, mm. I don't know, I'm curious about that process. Yeah, that was a long process. And for, for a lot of people, it's a long process from the time that somebody thinks like, you know, kind of comes to the realization I'm transgender or I may be transgender to actually making choices about how to transition, that that's a very ongoing journey. Um, you know, for me, that took, can't crunch the numbers right now, but from the time, yeah, that I kind of came out to myself, so to speak, to the time where I was consistently, you know, I was on a path and kind of had a plan, uh, was about a year and a half. So yeah, definitely, and this and how you know, um, I think that that's a lot about exploration, right? And you know, seeing what the consequences of things are. So, for example, of looking up what are the effects of hormones for surgeries. You know, what do you know? Looking at surgery results, seeing you know, is this something I would want for my body? How much variability is there, right? Especially with different surgeries, of you know, there's a range of outcomes. You know, everybody's body's different. What can my body tolerate? What you know, socially of how do I want to present where? Uh, so I think a lot of it is negotiating and figuring out what would I like? What would I want? And can I cope with the negative consequences if something does go wrong? So I think it was a lot of game planning of thinking about what I would like and also creating plans for, well, if this doesn't go the way I want it to, can I handle that? And I think with that kind of planning, I was able to, to get a sense of what I wanted and how I would go about getting it. But for everybody, that's very different. You know, when I work with trans clients, there's no single guidebook. You know, there are certain standards of providing competent uh, transgender mental health care. But for, you know, there's some people that taking hormones is super important. There's other people it's not. You know, I've known some people that are binary trans. So, you know, born biologically male, for example, and they identify as women and live their lives as women. And they, you know, a couple of women I know in particular, they don't do, they have done no medical intervention at all. You know, I think it was a, you know, for different personal reasons. You know, one I'm thinking of in particular, you know, she's very happy. She lives her life. She is, she is a woman, you know, there, there's no mistaking it, but no medical intervention at all. Um, whereas there are other people who they may identify as non-binary, but having top surgery, which is uh, for somebody born biologically female, that's removing the breasts. That's super important. Even though they don't identify as a man, they identify as non-binary, that still is very important to feeling congruent in their body. Um, so there's just so many different ways to transition, and that's okay. There's no one roadmap. Were you figuring out your roadmap more or less alone at the time, Taylor? Like I'm thinking age 18-ish. Were you doing a lot of that exploration internally? Did you have other people that you were talking to? Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? Yeah. Well, I think the difference in trans visibility over the past 10 years, I certainly probably didn't have as many supports back then as somebody 
um, now may be able to access, but I think, you know, it was a lot of internal thinking, a lot of what do I want for myself? How do I see myself? And I think also it was a lot of online support. You know, there are lots of transgender communities on Facebook, Reddit, you know, different groups to get that virtual connection because statistically, even the most generous estimates, you know, put trans people at like 0.5 to 1% of the population. So very small statistically, especially if you're in a rural area. But that exploration online, you know, within myself, and I reached out to my counseling center at my home university to, to have somebody to process with. And that person was super helpful, even though they weren't, uh, they weren't trans, they, didn't, they had some experience working with trans folks, but, but just to have somebody to talk about it with who's going to be non-judgmental, I think is, you know, those were all big factors that helped support me even when society certainly wasn't. How did kind of your, your circle of your closest people off the internet, kind of in quote unquote real life. What was that like in those early months? Yeah, so I think particularly with family, that's the big factor for trans folks is if they, they realize they're trans or they're questioning their gender is, what's my family gonna think? Um, or what are my friends gonna think? And I had a unique situation where I have uh, divorced parents and they reacted very differently. Um, they both were surprised, they both were what do we do with this? But one, you know, really knew that for trans folks, it's so important that if you have even one supportive figure in your life, that 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 makes all the difference in the world. And, you know, for my mom, that was, that was, she's like, I'm going to be that person, you know, uh, no matter what, I'm going to be there for Taylor, no matter how confusing this is for me, no matter how much I don't get it, I'm going to be there. For many people, a parent, unfortunately, is not that person. But, you know, whether it's a mentor, could be somebody you meet online, like, um, you know, could be somebody in those trans communities, it could be your counselor, could be somebody in your local community, especially if you live in a larger area. But having those supports are so important, but not guaranteed, you know, with my, uh, with my father, my other parent, you know, I think there are just certain factors with his personal beliefs that it was very hard for him to accept me. And that's kind of been an ongoing uh, dialogue, I think, especially when you look at things like uh, people, uh, there's intersections with certain values of how people were raised, uh, certainly religious factors, right? Certain religions, um, there isn't real compatibility with, with transgender individuals. Um, so, you know, when you discover your identity and you come out or you start to reach out, that there can be a mixture of, of reactions. Um, and that's very normal. As you were talking, I was thinking about risk and I was thinking about you sharing, questioning what kinds of medical risks you are willing to tolerate. Mm -hmm. And that there's also very much an element of what kinds of social risks and or costs are you willing to tolerate to live as yourself? Absolutely. And that's a big one that comes up for college students is, you know, they've come out to themselves as transgender, perhaps while they're at college, you know, uh, thankfully universities are providing better and better trans healthcare all the time. You know, UF, we have our, at the student health center, we have a uh, hormone care uh, there. And uh, so there's, there's lots of options, but the question is, is, oh, when do I tell my family? And that's a common issue and, and kind of safety of, you know, what that same kind of game planning of, well, what will happen, you know, if, if something goes wrong, right, I come out to a family member I thought would be supportive, and then they weren't. Um, or if something goes right, you know, if I come out to this person I'm not so sure about, and they end up being super supportive. 
And so I think in terms of safety, uh, emotional safety, especially that, you know, thinking about uh, different outcomes, different things that can happen is super wise. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Everyone needs support. And sometimes something as simple as a letter can make a difference. UFCWC's Letters of Care campaign is a unique way for Gators to connect and receive compassion, support, and understanding from a fellow Gator. Once you submit your request for a letter, it will be anonymously sent to one of the UFCWC's aware ambassadors who will write you back a letter of care within five to seven business days. It's your own personal aware care bear. Request your letters at counseling.ufl.edu forward slash letters. You know, on the subject of risks and potential costs, I wonder, I mean, all of this sounds really stressful, uh, you know, understatement probably, but just so stressful to be exploring, figuring out while you are finishing high school and starting college, like what the hell? Yeah. I mean, that's just the time in your life where there's so much of who are you, right? You know, picking your major, you know, picking your career. That's an aspect of a big aspect of your identity, your gender, another huge aspect of your identity. And, you know, that you're figuring this out right as you're leaving home for college. Yeah. Talk about a lot of stress, right? Um, So I think when somebody's questioning their gender identity, it's that big question of who am I? And asking that on a level that most people don't have to, right? For uh, cisgender people, which is uh, basically people who are not transgender, generally don't have to worry about that, right? That they are born, you know, whatever biological sex, and they identify with the gender that's associated uh, with that biological sex, right? Right, which was which is me and so many people that that I had a lot of things I was trying to figure out at that time, but this was not one of them. Mm. And this is so fundamental. Gender is so fundamental to who we are and how the world reacts to us. Mm-hmm. I've just, yeah, I'm th- wondering like, cause it wasn't the only thing you were trying to figure out either by any means. Like, no, how did that impact your mental health? Like what do, what do we need to be aware of if folks are, are questioning or exploring their gender identity mm-hmm. when they're in college? Yeah. Well, I think a big, you know, with any big decisions, right, there's anxiety. So that's a big one of you may be feeling pretty anxious and not knowing what's going to happen, right? Not knowing you know, what's going to fit, what people are going to think. So a lot of those what ifs. So a lot of anxiety can come from that. A lot of also either low self-esteem or feeling unstable uh, can come from not knowing who you are, right? Especially, you know, society wants you to know exactly who you are. Again, both in career and in gender identity of knowing exactly who you are at 18 years old. And, you know, for cisgender people, the gender thing, not such a big deal. But for trans people or people who are questioning their gender, gosh, that's a big question uh, to have to answer. And so if somebody doesn't know, they may feel a bit insecure. They may feel like, gosh, I don't even know who I am. You know, and that can be, you know, that can make people feel very overwhelmed, can make them feel down, uh, can make people feel like I don't know what the future is going to hold, make make people feel like they don't have a future, especially if, uh, especially if they don't have supportive people in their life. And I think, you know, for for trans identified individuals, uh, suicide and uh, suicidal thoughts are, you know, a big risk um, because of that combination of dealing with so much stress 
and then unfortunately a lot of times a lack of support which is why getting support is so so critical what about sex and dating and sexuality yeah a whole nother layer right so one thing that's important, I, I'm glad to take the opportunity to clarify this, or not to clarify, but to, to talk about is people, you know, LGBT, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender is together as a community because there's that common idea of defying what is expected in terms of uh, relationships and in uh, gender, right? The, the, there's that very typical notion of there are men, there are women, the women are attracted to men, the men are attracted to women. And so the LGBT community has that in common, that, that, that those uh, norms are violated. But sexuality and gender identity are actually two different things. Um, and the distinction is, you know, for gender identity, it's what your gender is. Whereas for sexuality, it's who are you attracted to? Um, so slightly different questions, right? And so, of course, transgender people, like anybody else, have a sexual orientation, but it's not the same as being trans. So one way I think about it is your gender identity, you know, your gender is who do you go to sleep as? And your sexuality is who do you go to sleep with? Um, I love that. It's a nice shorthand. Yeah. But also, I wonder, as you're, as you're trying to figure out who do you go to sleep as, that in the process of trying to figure out who you go to sleep with, that involves showing your body, mm -hmm. potentially. And if you're at odds with your own body, yeah, just wondering even less about who you're attracted to and just that experience of, of, of being intimate in a body that doesn't feel like your own. Mm. Yeah, so that's a lot of, you know, I think what you're getting at is a bit of body di uh, dysphoria or gender dysphoria, but particularly as it relates to one's body of, yeah, how do I relate to somebody else when I don't relate to my own body, right? Um, so that can be really hard. And that can be an aspect of, you know, disclosing or, or choosing not to disclose in dating, that negotiating that and there are different approaches, certainly. But being mindful of safety for that too, right? If some people may, there's some people who are very positive about trans identities and like will affirm you and will, you know, take the time to respect your body and respect your identity. And then there are other people who either they're just uneducated or they're antagonistic towards trans people who may not be the safest to be around. And so that's one more aspect to be mindful of, of that, you know, trans people can have any sexual orientation, right? They can be straight, they can be gay, they can be bi, pan, queer. Asexual. Um, asexual, yeah. That just like anybody else, they have a sexual orientation, but how we negotiate relationships as trans people can certainly look a little bit different as well. Thank you. Thank you. I, again, I think there are so many potential layers for folks mm -hmm. as their um, like gender identity is its own thing and yet intersects with so many of these other aspects of identity. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that. You know, what are some other salient identities for you, Taylor? And then, you know, how does the picture look different depending on what other potentially marginalized social identities that someone holds uh, along with maybe being trans? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a ton of intersectionality. You know, I think the one that's most salient for me is, or a couple, one is religion in terms of I was raised as a Christian and I would say I'm spiritual now. I don't know exactly what label I would put on it, but certainly I was raised in a context where being transgender was not okay. 
and the question of what does that mean for my relationship with God? And so for people of different religious backgrounds, that that can be a big factor of navigating your identity with your religious identity. Um, I think another big one is with even within gender, what does it mean to I've spent most of my life being perceived as a woman and now I am being perceived as a man and the differences in how I'm treated and getting male privilege, uh, which is, I will uh, testify, is very real, having experienced both ends of that. And conversely, for people who are trans feminine, meaning that they're born biologically male and going any more uh, towards a more feminine gender, that they used to have this male privilege that they're now losing. Um, so that's a huge intersectionality. I think another big one is race of, you know, what does it mean to transition, for me, transitioning as a trans man uh, being white, you know, transitioning to being a white man versus, you know, somebody who is black uh, transitioning from, you know, a woman to being a black man and kind of some of the, you know, with the, you know, systemic racism and all these challenges that that gets, that gets tied into as well and combined with transition that it's very difficult often in our in the United States to be either a black man or a black woman but mm-hmm. the hardships may be different depending on which gender you are Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And very similarly of yeah for um trans women who are black as well and you know different racial identities and different immigrant status as well, right? Depending on the legal rights you have that would affect your ability to change certain documents, right? If you're if you need your birth certificate for, let's say, applying to certain jobs or something like that, but you can't change your birth certificate in your home country. So you don't have a birth certificate then that reflects your identity, right? That you have to basically out yourself to get whatever job or position due to your immigrant status of not being able to change your, you know, your birth certificate. Um, so there's a lot of intersectionality with other marginalized identities and transitioning that can definitely intersect and become present. Yeah. It's just so complicated. And I think I'm sitting with, I don't think anyone goes on this journey because it feels optional. Mm. Most certainly. That's, I think that, you know, I think especially as trans rights and transgender people have become more visible, that there's that that notion of, of, you know, that this is trendy or that, that this is a cool thing to do. And uh, absolutely, uh, it's not something to do. You know, this is, this is how I have chosen to live in terms of I, and, and what I mean by that is I, this is how I've chosen to live rather than choosing to die in terms of, I want to live a life worth living. I want to be able to be myself that, that this is a choice only in so much as I'm choosing to advocate for myself. I'm choosing to be myself. I'm choosing life. Um, so yeah, the, I, you know, given hopefully, you know, anybody hearing this, of seeing all the weight, all the nuance of this that, yeah, no, if there were any other way, or if I were in a different timeline where I could have been born as a cis man, you know, that I don't know, I don't deal in hypothetical. So I don't know if I would, you know, would change who I am, but it certainly would have made my life a lot easier that like, that this is definitely not, um, yeah, it's not a choice. It's only a choice in that I'm choosing to live. I'm choosing to have an authentic life. I, I wonder, just for our listeners to get a sense of this, how long has it taken you to fully transition into yeah. the male gender? Yeah. 
Well, that's it's an interesting or the, question. Or the male, I mean, maybe maybe the male gender started really early, but have but changing your body to feel like it was as congruent with that as you wanted. Yeah. Well, you know, I think kind of a couple different aspects of that question of one, you know, I think for me, I finished transitioning to be living as myself and feeling comfortable with myself, you know, really once I had taken hormones and once I had changed my legal documents and everything was squared away in that sense that, you know, for me at that point, I felt done with my transition in the sense of I'm living as myself, I'm being myself. And that, you know, so for, to answer your question a little bit of for different people, that benchmark may be very different, right? Of somebody when they socially transition, regardless of their medical treatment, they feel like, you know, everything after that is just affirming their gender. They already feel congruent in themselves. That shift internally has already occurred regardless of what is happening on the outside. Mm -hmm. And that's a really significant point to get there. Exactly. That you're feeling like, okay, I'm living as myself, I'm being myself and I feel comfortable. And so for me, for me personally, you know, I'm just one person, but for me, that was after I had taken hormones, I had had my top surgery, which is, you know, removing uh, breast tissue and having changed most of my legal documents. At that point, I felt very stable in my gender identity. I felt, you know, people, everybody in my life, you know, recognized me as who I was. And I felt like in that sense, my transition was complete. That being said, I have had more surgeries since. And I would say in general, you you know, a general best practice is not to ask people about their physical transition too too quickly, or not not to ask them about that, um, or you know, wait for them to offer that in terms of you know, it's imagining like somebody asking you about your medical history, right? Of like that's generally not a it's extremely uh, personal, right? So that's one thing I do want to say as a caveat before I talk about this is in general it's not it's not best practice to you know it's one of those things I think John Oliver once said. Um, Transgender people may or may not seek medical intervention, and whether they do so is quite frankly none of your business. Which is, I love, I love how he put it um, in that in that show. But with that caveat aside, you know, I'm I'm very happy to talk about my experiences. And so for me, I did have some more medical intervention after that. So for example, I wanted to make sure that uh, you know I think there are certain risks of of maintaining female organs after you've taken testosterone. So I wanted to be able to. Uh, to to get that taken care of. And so all said and done, you know, kind of my medical transition has taken me, you know, I would say about 10, about since I started transitioning, I would say it's hard to put a timeline on it, but nearly 10 years. And that's because of like, especially with surgeries, right? You need to take time off from work. You need to uh, plan for those things, get insurance, all that. But the thing I would want to drive home is that's, that's my case, right? So for me, uh, I felt very solid in my gender. I felt very much like I was living my life and doing my thing probably within about three years. And then, but for me to visit, to finish all the physical aspects I wanted to change was closer to eight or nine years. But for everybody, that's really different. Again, it could be kind of day one, like once they realize within their own sense of self that like, this is who I am. And then that's, then that's enough. And for other people, it may be a longer journey. So it really, there's no, again, you know, I know I'm being repetitive here, but there's really no set, there's no set roadmap. Um, And that's okay. You know, there's no one way. Well, and I think that's so important though, that you're repeating that again and again, Taylor, because especially in in an area where there hasn't traditionally been much visibility, there's always Mm -hmm. the risk of sharing your story and 
not wanting folks to feel like you're speaking for everyone and really wanting people to not have a sense of like, oh, well, I totally understand what it is to be transgender just from listening to Taylor Morris's mm-hmm. podcast episode about that. Like that we that is absolutely not where we want folks to go with this, that you're just telling your personal journey and you know this is as varied as as humanity really is it's just a subset uh, but within that subset there's so much variation that can unfold absolutely so much diversity there's a lot of uh, beauty and diversity within the trans community and you know we'll talk about more in the next episode but so much resilience and so much um you know trans people have a lot to offer the world in terms of our knowledge and insight into asking that that question of what, you know, who are you? On a very deep level, we've had to ask ourselves that. Um, and that, and it's okay if that takes a long time to answer. You know, it's one thing I always try to affirm for my clients is this is an ongoing journey um, that, you know, to, to, to really feel comfortable with who you are and to explore and to uh, try on different things and see what fits and see, you know, like for me, I was saying, this is only a choice only in so much as I'm choosing to live. Um, that that you're able to find that place of this is me. This is how I want to be. This is who I am. This is how I want to live. I love that. And I wonder, kind of by way of get, getting closer to closing out this conversation, if you might just say a little bit about your own mental health, Taylor, how your own mental health has been impacted specifically around this journey. And I know obviously you've got other parts of your life, but specifically the decision and then the process of transitioning. Have there been positive impacts overall for your mental health? Absolutely. It is night and day. I mean, in terms of my own mental health of, you know, I think I had talked about earlier on about the, that anger, that resignment, that, you know, I don't fit into this world, that people see me through this filter, that that's gone now, that people see me. And I cannot even put into words what a relief that is, what, how beautiful and how amazing that is. And the transition certainly has not been easy, but it has been so worth it. I don't, you know, I could not see my life any other way uh, that I can finally be myself, you know, again, for all the struggle and for all the pain of transition, I even hesitate to say, oh, it's worth it in terms of like, it was a choice. It wasn't a choice. You know, it it was, I was choosing life. I was choosing uh, to be me and so worth it. So yeah, I- I, Because life would not have been worth living for you if you weren't able to transition. It would would have been very hard. Yeah. I, you know, I maybe would have been able to find some way, but it would have been a miserable life. It would have been, yeah, kind of that- I may have been able to live, but it might not have been a life worth living, so to speak. But again, I do want to validate that. And we'll talk more about the Resilience Podcast, but there definitely are all, the, all that anxiety, all those fears, all those, um, you know, a world that isn't exactly the most hospitable to trans folks sometimes, that those things aren't to be discounted, that those are very real. And those can really impact mental health, especially for, for trans folks of like that beyond being trans itself can be some of the biggest uh, impacts on trans people's mental health is how other people treat them. So I don't want to discount that at all. But I, what I would say is, you know, looking back to my 17 or 18 year old self who felt very uh, confused, who felt very, uh, not even confused, but just overwhelmed 
if they could, you know, if that Taylor could see me now, he would feel so relieved. And so like, it's going to be okay. It worked out. I'm able to be myself. This, this, this anger, this, uh, this feeling like I don't fit in this world, that that can go away. That I, you know, now me standing here today, I feel like I, I have a place in this world. I fit in. I can be me and people can see that. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Thank you for, for having me and for, for having these dialogues because, you know, for one, for those students who are questioning their gender, but people are at questioning aspects of their identity in general, that it's okay, it's a journey and that, you know, being able to, to be yourself and express yourself is so valuable. And that value sh shines through in your conversation with me today. And I'm excited to record our second episode where we get more into resilience and yeah, tune in next time. Thank you. Sure thing. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.